Welcome to Mutterings from a Bald Guy podcast. My name is Chet, your host. You will find sermons and teachings that put Scripture in its rightful place of authority on this podcast. If you like this episode or any, could you tap five stars and leave me a review? When you tap those stars and leave a review, that significantly helps me spread more salt in our morally decaying world. Hey, let's bring life to the dead together. Okay, so a little bit more today, we're going to talk about our postmodern culture and just remind you why, why that's important is because that's where we live. And a lot of the ideas we've been talking about, you probably recognize these in your grandchildren and in your children some. Um, postmodernism is a entrenched, entrenched ideology today. And it's the reason why we have so many issues. Honestly, it's because it's such a focus on self. Um, 40 years ago, there was more of a community focus. Today, it's about me and only me. And that's postmodernism in a nutshell. It's bad and it's terrible, and there's a lot of issues with that. But what I hope to do today is that we can see this as an opportunity. We can see it as an opportunity. We're going to talk about what's called a therapeutic turn, okay? So basically, we know that every one of us senses a personal and universal brokenness. Um, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, there's brokenness. People experience death. People experience suffering. It, it, it doesn't matter what belief you hang on to. You're going to suffer because this world is evil. It's fallen. It's broken. Um, the moral register for sin has been trading for a therapeutic one these days. What I mean by that is what was once called sin is now called sickness. You guys ever realize that? For example, I was taught that I have a sickness called alcoholism. Well, that's actually not been technically proven. What's been proven is that when people make a decision, some people have more, more of a propensity towards alcoholism, but there's no chemical imbalance that makes a person an alcoholic. I was told my whole life, you're a drug addict and alcoholic because you're sick. No, I was a drug addict and alcoholic because I'm sinful. <laughs> and I decided to do those things. It wasn't until March 8th of 2008 that I decided I wanted to be clean, and I made that decision. Nobody held my hand. Nobody drugged me in the treatment center. I said, I'm ready. And so Satan likes, I tell you what, Satan's got a big hold in our postmodern culture because if he can get people to believe it's just a sickness, then you don't need a savior. You just need a counselor, right? You need someone to talk to. You need a program. Um, now, granted, don't get, you guys have heard me say this. God used Alcoholics Anonymous to save my life. I needed a community. I needed that at that time. Um, but it's not a sickness. It's called sin. Uh, we went from born to be saved to born to be pleased, right? I mean, that's the culture we live in today. Hey, how can I be pleased? How can, how can, how can I get what I want from you? Uh, whatever it takes, right? People today don't feel like they need to repent when they feel guilty, Obviously, because they don't see sin as sin, they see it as a sickness. They see it as, um, I need to go talk to a psychologist. I need to go talk to someone who can straighten up these things in my mind. It's not that I'm sinful, I'm sick, and it's because I have a wrong mindset. I have a wrong mindset. I need to straighten up my mindset. Um, a lot of the motivational videos you see today are a lot of the motivational speakers. And unfortunately, a lot of 
pastors do this as well. They motivationally speak towards people's sicknesses or uh, people's weaknesses, and they say things like, you can do it. God wants what's best for you. Get up another day. It's like, okay, you know, that sounds great, but it's so overgeneralized that you really don't hit the issue. The issue is you're a sinful human being, and you need Jesus. And I'm not saying that because I hate you. I'm saying that because I love you, right? We need to be okay with that and uh, not be afraid to say that. And, of course, we see traditional religion as part of the problem. I mean, wow, have we seen that these last couple of years? Traditional religion has been attacked. Why? Because it pushes against individual desires, right? It's not okay to just be yourself. God doesn't call you to be yourself. God made you and called you to be who he wants you to be and for you to do what he wants you to do. But that's not popular. It's not a popular message. So this is the therapeutic term uh, turn we're talking about. There's one thing that we can do. If you guys remember, we've started from working on the inside and then working our way out to Christianity. So we've talked about a couple other things, about how to engage in conversation with people, and we start from the inside, where the person is. We, um, we find an area of relation, and then we work our way out to Christianity. So working from the inside first, the therapeutic turn puts a premium on human dignity. That's not a bad thing. Christianity actually sees humans as good as as people who are dignified, people who are made in the image of God. And so that's a high view of human dignity. Charles Taylor says, we are now to be approached as one who is just incapacitated. We are just to be dealt with, manipulated into health. Now, obviously, what he means by this is we don't need a spiritual fix. We just need to figure out how to deal with it in a worldly way. We also see um, once sin is tied to human dignity, it provides a way to work out to Christianity, all right? So we're working our way out to Christianity. We're talking about postmodernism. We're talking about the culture today. We're talking about therapeutic turn. I found out just a little while ago the kids got crazy, and uh, I came early to set up the stuff because Nicole was cooking a really good dish I didn't want to miss. So I came early. I set up everything, and I went home to eat. And uh, the kids just... Y'all know how it is having little kids. Sometimes their talking just gets to you, and I had to put on a show, okay? I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I put on this show, this National Geographic show. I said, boys, hush up. You're going to learn about whales. And so we were watching about whales and learning about them, and the narrator was cracking me up. narrator was saying things like, whales have a culture too. And I'm thinking, Wow, we have gotten to the place where now animals have a culture, right? <laughs> it's like they can't just be animals. They have a culture. And so what the narrator was saying was that these orcas, uh, these killer whales, what she was trying to explain is that they have a bond with one another, and they also have family ties, and this emotional bond allows them to feed together and travel together and all that stuff, which is great. So even whales have a culture. We have a culture, and whales have a culture. So instead of reducing humans to machines, we actually, as Christians, emphasize human dignity by seeing every one of us as God's image bearers. That's important to know. Because when we start saying that and get people to understand that, they'll go, oh, wait a minute. So wait, God is not just out there to judge me? God is going to judge. But he's also made you in his image and desires a relationship with you. How's that? You know, and, and that's an important aspect to it. Um, we're able to make significant choices. God saw us worthy to be redeemed. These are all magnificent, honorable, loving traits of our God that need to be said 
but we also cannot disregard the mental illness in our world. There is a thing called sickness in the mind. We know that. Um, We've actually seen it through the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There have been many cases where people are mentally ill. Why that happens, I don't know. I do know what Jesus says, that the man was born blind to show God's glory. So I can only expect that in other cases where people have these uh, issues with themselves is to bring God the glory in some way, some shape, some form in their life um, as as they're living with other people. Mental illness is an issue, but sickness is the result of sin in the world. So sin is the originator. Sin is still sin. No matter what you want to call it, it's still sin. Uh, Christianity provides a moral obligation to care for those who are disenfranchised, who are poor, who, are, um, who can't give anything in return. Christianity calls us to do that. So they need to know that too. These are all excellent traits of the Christian life, of the Christian walk that we have. So postmoderns giggle about sin. I talk to friends all the time and they say things like, oh, I did that, but it's not a big deal. Ha, 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 ha. Or I drank this much beer. Ha, ha, ha. I drank this much alcohol and I was wasted. Ha, 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 ha. You know, and so it's, it's today sin is made light of. It's made uh, to, to make light, to make fun of. It's not a big deal. And what we know about postmodernism is they make it into a light issue because they're kind of walking away from that pressure of sin, that pressure of guilt that we all experience whenever we do something we're not supposed to do. Now, let's talk about something very important here. We could, when we're talking with someone in this culture, say things like, here's the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to show you why you're doomed to hell, you unrepentant sinner, right? You can say those things. Or you can say, you filthy rag. Nothing you do will ever measure up to, the, to God's standard. You're disgusting and vile, right? Or you can say that. Or you can approach it a little different. You can say something like this. I know that you feel the pressures of this world. What types of pressures are you going through today? And I guarantee they'll say something like this. Well, I feel pressure from society for my career. I feel pressure from my family to be someone that maybe I don't want to be. I feel pressure from friends. I feel pressure from politics. I feel pressure from social media. There are pressures all around us, and they are feeling the weight just like we are. And so that gives us an opportunity to then let them know that these pressures of things, relationships, managing our own image, this shows us that we can never measure up. And so we pitch it like this and we say, well, I experienced those pressures too and I realize just like you, we can never measure up to who we want to be. But let me tell you how you can. And that's when you let them know about Jesus Christ and how through him you can be seen as an unblemished, perfect, clean person because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Him bleeding upon the cross, the atonement of Jesus Christ gives you a new life if you will believe in him. That is a wonderful message. That's a message that everyone needs to hear. Charles uh, Taylor says, even people who are very successful in the range of normal human flourishing, perhaps especially such people, can feel unease, perhaps remorse. There's some sense that their achievements are hollow. There was a study done in the 1800s. A Frenchman came to America and did a study And he said he was shocked at the abundance of things Americans had and how hollow they felt. 
That's in the 1800s. Look at us now. What's, how many vehicles does the average household have? Two or three? I mean, the average bank account, the average income, right, in America, I think is at 55 or 60,000 now. That's average. Poverty in America is 29,000 or just under 29,000 a year. I made 19,000 a year roofing in 2010 and I was living like a high hog. I did everything I wanted. <laughs> of course, I was single, um, so you can make a little money and still do whatever you want. But we live in such abundance that we feel hollow and we want more. And so that's what Charles Taylor's saying. All these achievements, all these things we have, we find ourselves wanting more and more. Um, this is Tyler Durden from uh, the Fight Club. You guys may have seen that, may have not, but this quote kind of captures what we're talking about. We have no great war, no great depression. Our depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't, and we're slowly learning that fact. This is probably more of an um, example for my generation and the uh, Gen X generation, which is your, you know, your 40s, your 50s. But that's what we were taught growing up. Disney, you know, Disney movies, uh, be who you want to be movies. I mean, you just name it, Hallmark, whatever, uh, Warner Brothers. I mean, every cartoon, every movie was based and centered around you can be whoever you want to be and you will be successful. Just work hard. Just go get it. Well, not everybody can do that. Not everybody can do that. And we're starting to figure that out as we get older and people are starting to be more depressed because they're finding out they're not that great. All right, so how do we work out to Christianity? Um, despite the abundance of the West and the vast resources we have to feel better, there's still a restlessness and anxiety. So we have all these resources. We have the best health care. We have, we have the best everything here, but we, we're still anxious. We're still restless. I can remember one of the things that really rocked my world was when I was um, in my second, it was the third mission trip to South America. And I was partnered up with a pastor and um, him and his family didn't have much. They, they lived in, you know, in South America, you have huge stone walls across a line of homes. And the homes are built with tin and, you know, mortar and stuff like that. And a lot of the bricks had like barbed wire on the top or um, broken glass bottles to keep people from, from jumping over and stealing your things. And every home had like this really nice steel or aluminum door right, for protection, and they all had a lock on it. I just thought that was so funny. It was like a poor part of town, but everybody had a really nice aluminum door. And so I was talking, Cristiano was his, his, his name, and I was talking with him, and he was sharing how he works. He runs a church. He leads a church. He's raising his family. His wife does some side jobs to try to get money, and they're, they're perfectly content where they are, content. They love what they do. They love that God's called them to do what they do, but in America's eyes, we would see that as, oh, those, those are not really privileged people. Like, they really got to work hard for what they have or, you know, they don't have what I have or whatever. Um, and many of us here have spent our whole lives working our tails off just so we can enjoy some time off. Amen? And that's a good thing. We should be able to do that. But people in other countries don't have, don't have retirement as um, a blessing. They work all their life, and then when the money runs out, it runs out. You know, so we're in abundance. We have so much. 
but yet we find ourselves wanting more. It's the postmodern culture that we're in. Now, there's an apologetic opportunity here, and I want to talk about idolatry. So the human heart is driven by what we worship and what we desire. If you talk to a teenage boy who's dating a girl, what do you think he's going to be thinking about the most? The girl. That's right. Because his heart is driven by his desire. If you would have talked to my dad before he bought his bass boat and he was researching boats every day for the six months, what do, you think, what do you think he was thinking about the most? His bass boat. That's right. His heart's desire, he wanted that bass boat. Um, I can remember, you know, this was some years ago whenever I started getting involved in, in running more. I started figuring out that shoes were expensive and I didn't, I didn't have enough money for real running shoes. So what did I do? I researched running shoes all the time. On my spare time at work, I was like, oh, those shoes look good, but those are 200 bucks. Can't get those. Every day, every day. So all I wanted to do was run fast. My heart's desire was to run fast. So all I did was look at running shoes and see how everyone else was much faster than me and never did any, any good. Every pair of shoes I bought, there was still someone faster than me. How dare them? The shoes are supposed to make me. Was that that's right. See, the way I think of it, I should just be able to move them faster. <laughs> yes, indeed. So what do we know about these things that drive our heart, right? Disappointment will come because these things are temporary. They're temporary. So we help people see the fundamental human problem and the gospel's power of redemption. This can help them see the problem and then us offer them a solution. Now, I understand many of you have probably realized there's sometimes, some Sundays, I don't give a walk down the aisle invitation. It's either in the seats or I ask someone to fill out the contact form. Because I got to be honest with you guys, the way that our culture is changing, I honestly am at a loss for what it's going to take for God's people to respond. I really am. I'll just tell you right now, I don't know. I know that that's an issue in every church. The Billy Graham era has ended, friends, if you haven't noticed. It has. The younger people, if you preach like a fire and brimstone preacher, they are not going to connect with that. They're not. We may. We may get all fired up. I know I will. I'll throw a few amens and hallelujahs in there. But the younger generation is not connecting with that. So we need to do, we, don't cha- we never change the message. Never do we change the message. But the method can be changed. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Billy Graham changed the method. When he started wearing those uh, bright colored ties, when he was preaching youth messages, boy, people had an uproar about that. Remember that? Or whenever he started posting his sermons on TV in his uh, crusades, oh, you, you would have thought old Satan was taking control of Billy Graham. You ought to read some of the stuff people wrote him. How dare you, Billy, you're watering down the gospel, putting it on TV. And Billy Graham's like, well, I'm, I'm changing my method. I want to reach people. And so that should be our goal. Our goal is to reach people. Even if it makes us feel uncomfortable, we need to reach people with the same message that's been preached since Peter preached the first sermon. It's the same message, but the way we get that message out and the way we communicate, communicate it needs to be changed so we can reach people because that's what we do. We want to reach people. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for... Tonight, thank you for apologetics, Father. I believe that this is very important. I believe that when Paul traveled to Athens, I believe that when Paul traveled to Corinth, when he traveled to 
uh, Macedonia, Father, I believe that in the scripture you see, Lord, that Paul changed his method in the conversations he was having with people. And we saw that, Lord. We walked through that, Acts chapter 15, 16, and 17. If the apostle Paul changes the method to get the gospel message out and have it engaged in the culture where he's in, I think we should too, Father. Help us to break away from tradition so that we can see and influence the gospel light in our culture. Father, if we don't get on board now, we're going to find ourselves far behind and not influencing the world and our culture and our community the way that we need to. Lord, help us to do what is right and honorable by your word. Help us to stay committed to the message. And Father, help us where we may be awry, Father, where we may be a side of you and not in your will. Father, help us to see it. Help us to understand it. Help us to notice it. And I pray that we would repent. I pray that we would ask forgiveness each day as we walk with you, as we grow in our relationship with you. And Father, that we would place such an importance upon prayer and our communion with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.